You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you would look with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. That's like Old Testament. Easiest way to get there, start at the front and flip back about nine books. You're going to come to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19 is where we want to look this morning as we continue on with the Travel Light Live Free series. And today we want to talk about depression. So here's the baggage of depression. Anyone recognize this baggage? You know, it was interesting. Last week when we talked about worry, so how many, how many of you can identify with the baggage of worry? It's like uh, more than half, maybe three quarters of people raised their hand. Today when I said, hey, anyone identify with this baggage of luggage? I saw one man raise his hand. And say, none of us want to raise our hand, though we may be in a place of struggling with depression. It's because we don't want to be labeled with this label of depression. We don't want others to know that, wow, we're having some internal struggles in our lives. But it's amazing as I checked into some statistics in relation to this issue of depression. Did you know today in the United States of America, there's 18.4 million people who are struggling with depression? And I would say that number's low, even as if I were to survey you this morning, one man in the midst of all of this, I would say somebody's not being truthful in the church nonetheless. Well, there's, there's the reality of the struggle of depression. And, and if you have not been there or you're not there today, then hopefully this message is not going to be a waste, but it'll help you help someone that you know, because we all have family members, friends. We have individuals we know. Matter of fact, I have a list quite lengthy of individuals I know who this is a reality in their lives. They have this, this baggage of depression and they're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with this baggage? You know, as I was doing research for this uh, particular sermon, I came across another statistic that was even more shocking for me. And maybe it's more shocking for me because it relates to my area of work, kind of where I live. H.B. London, Dr. H.B. London, who does a lot of work with pastors, says this. He made this statement. He says, 45% of pastors have experienced depression or burnout to the extent that they needed to take a leave of absence. 45% of folks who do what I do uh, who live where I live, struggling with this issue of depression. You know, depression is a, is a real issue that weighs us down, that wears us out, and that depletes our lives. And one of the maybe greater challenges is that it can be difficult to identify. It, it can be difficult to understand. I mean, if someone has, um, if they have a broken arm, then we look, they have a cast on their arm, and we say, oh, they have a broken arm. And that's easy for us to understand. Five, six weeks, cast comes off, arms well, and they no longer have a broken arm. If someone has a, a broken foot, if you have a broken foot, we say, whoa, looks, looks like you got a, a problem with your foot. That's easy for us to understand. But when it comes to this issue of depression, of what's happening inside of us emotionally, what's happening in our thinking process, it can be really challenging to deal with. Hard to understand, hard for us to process, hard for us to talk about. Now, before I jump into this morning, jump into this this morning, let me give you my disclaimer. Here it is. I'm not a specialist on depression. 
I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm, I'm not even a trained counselor. Um, I do some counseling from time to time, but like that's not my area of training or expertise, nor have I ever struggled with deep depression. I have had bouts of depression, like a day or two days or a week of depression. I've never been like um, in a in a dark place of despair in my life. So I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm not talking from a wealth of experience this morning as it relates to depression. However, I do believe that God's Word gives us some insight that gives us understanding as to how we can address this baggage of depression in our lives. And as we think of depression, it, it comes from a lot of different sources. In just a moment, I'm, I'm going to give you what I think are some of the dominant causes of depression. But when someone's struggling with depression, these are the thoughts that's going through their minds. This is what's happening in their brain. Now, it, it may not be true. Most of the times, it, it's absolutely not true. But it is what they're thinking. For them, it is their reality. They're thinking things like, I'll never get out of this rut. I had someone in my office this week who made that exact statement. Pastor, I'll never get out of this rut. They, 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 they feel like they're thinking, I have no hope. I'm worthless. No one cares. I'm not good at anything. There's no reason to keep going. It's these untruths. If, if you believe the untruths, if you believe the lie, they can even sink you deeper into despair. See, I happen to believe that depression is one of the most debilitating illnesses affecting Americans today. It can negatively affect your ability to function, your ability to think, your ability to feel, even, even your ability to relate to God. I, I want to read you a, a couple true stories. These are, are stories individuals wrote about their own experience. So these are not like make-up stories. These are, are true stories. And I, I want to share these stories with you because, again, if you've never struggled with this baggage of depression, if it's just like I can't identify with that, then you don't truly understand what's happening in someone's life. And one of the things I've noticed in the church today is we're not real compassionate when it comes to working with individuals who have depression because, again, we don't really understand it. It's like there's this disconnect. So I, let me, I, I summarize these stories because they got rather lengthy, but let me just read you a couple quick stories. Again, these are real stories, true stories about individuals dealing with this baggage of depression. Here's the first story. It was when my dad left my mother that the black dog moved in. It fed and fed so much that eventually us kids were squeezed out of the house too. It was scary being a kid with a fast-growing black dog taking up all the space in the house and all the attention of our mother. Mostly it stayed in the bedroom with her, but its presence permeated the house. It was a palpable odor of loneliness, silence, and despair. When Dad lived with us, he could chew the black dog away. It was okay then because he knew how to ward it off, but we didn't. For the next two years, it dominated my mother's life and turned our lives the lives of us three kids in the turmoil. So here's a child writing about the experience of a mother with depression. Here's another story. True story. If I was in a wheelchair, it would be easier for people to understand. If struck by sudden blindness, diagnosis would be immediate and I would lose no time in learning management techniques. Instead, my struggle with mood disorders are invisible and subjective, making them hard to spot and hard to comprehend. If my exterior looked as bad as I felt on the inside, people would have recalled in disgust. 
I felt empathy with lepers, skin rotting, limbs falling off. I need a bell to warn people of my approach, feeling like a taint on everything I come into contact with. No one seemed... No one seemed to run screaming on sight of me, yet I was sure that they knew my embarrassing secret. I was completely useless. Now, obviously, that's not true. But for this individual struggling with depression, that's what that's what's happening in their mind. That's the record that's playing over and over and over and over again. I'm useless. There's no hope. Hey, I think one of the greater challenges Well, the central problem with depression is this. It distorts your reality. In other words, it distorts what you're seeing. And it's like um, you have this total different picture that's not true. But in your mind, it seems true. And again, you tell yourself this so many times. Like you begin to live it as if it's true. But it's, 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 it's not true. The key to remember... The key, to, the key is to remember that perception does not equal reality. How you're perceiving is not the way it, it really is. And when it comes to this baggage of depression, I think you have to know that there's always hope and there's always help with God. There's always hope and there's always help. I believe that through God's help, And through the help of qualified people, we can address and offload the baggage of depression and in that find peace, peace in our lives. So we want to look to this story. But before we do this morning, let me give you just really quick what I think are the five dominant causes. And there's multiple causes of depression. But let me give you what I think are the five dominant causes. The first is pain. When you have prolonged pain in your life and you can't escape the prolonged pain, It can bring you into a place of depression. It can bring the baggage of depression into your life. Here's a second dominant cause of depression. And it's what I call situation induced. In other words, there's a happening in your life. And that happening opens your life to the baggage of depression. It could be like the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a a loved one. It could be the loss of a marriage. Those are happenings that can bring this baggage of depression. Here's a third dominant cause of depression. um, And this is quite common. It's chemical imbalance. It's when your body is not well physically. In other words, like not everything is leveled out. Not everything is functioning correctly. And oftentimes then there's, there's the necessity of, of seeing, seeking out medical help and, and allowing them to help you with what you have a physical health problem. You have a chemical imbalance that opens your life to the baggage of depression. Here's another um, cause of depression. It's what I would identify as spiritual attack. We do have an adversary. We do have one who wants to rob us of life. And one of the ways that the adversary does that is through oppressing us with this baggage of depression. Now, now let me say this this morning. I've been in church all my life. um, And I've seen the church function. And sometimes, to be honest, we don't function real well. 
Uh, and I think this is one of the areas, because this is what I've seen in my own, in my own personal experience in church life, is, is I've seen individuals, if they had the baggage of depression, then obviously they've got demons, and because they have demons, we've got to take care of the demons. And so we go after it, like, with great vengeance, because it's spiritual, because depression is always spiritual. If we can just get the demons out, then the depression will go away. And as I mentioned, listen, depression is not always spiritual. It can be spiritual, but it's not always spiritual. There's other causes of depression that we need to be aware of. But it could be at times, it could be an, an attack of the adversary, what bringing this baggage of depression, robbing you of life. The bottom line, no matter the source of depression, if you're dealing with depression, this baggage of depression, then you need to seek help. Listen, seeking help for depression is no different than going to the doctor for a code. If you have a code, you're not getting over the code, what do you do? You go to the doctor. You don't feel any shame going to the doctor. Why? You have a code. Or if you sprain your wrist, you wouldn't go to the doctor's office, head down, shameful, because you sprained your wrist. No, you, you, would, you would say, hey, I, saw, I don't know what I did, but I did something. It really hurts. Can you, can you check it out? Can you figure it out? Can you help me? In the same way, in the same way, if you're dealing with this baggage of depression, uh, you need to seek help. It could be the, could be the help of a, of, of a trusted friend. It could be the help of a pastor. It could be the help of a, uh, of a counselor. It could be the help of a, of a medical doctor. But the bottom line is, is if, if you have the baggage of depression, then it's okay to say, hey, I need help. And we need to move beyond the labeling and the shame that comes with Individuals who are saying, hey, I've, I've got this internal struggle. So with that this morning, now let's look to a story about a man, a dynamic man of God. Let me emphasize that. A dynamic man of God who was used by God in great ways, who struggled with depression. He had an internal turmoil happening in his life to the point that he wanted to die. And did I mention he was a man of God? Because oftentimes, again, I think we, we have this disconnect. We think, well, if I, if I really love Jesus, if I'm really a man of God, or if I'm really a woman of God, then I wouldn't have the baggage of depression. What I want you to see this morning, here is Elijah, a prophet, a dynamic man of God. Maybe we could call him one of the superheroes of the Old Testament who struggled with depression. We're going to see it in the story this morning. His story actually happens. This story we want to look at happens in 18 and 19, chapter 18 and chapter 19. And because we don't have time to read the whole story this morning, let me quickly summarize chapter 18 to get us to chapter 19. Because the nation of Israel had turned away from God and had began to worship the false god of Baal and the false god of Asherah, basically God says, hey, I'm going to bring judgment on the land. Um, There's a consequence. And so he says to the prophet Elijah, go to wicked king Ahab and tell him, because of this issue of idolatry, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And it ended up being a period of, of three years. So there's a severe drought that's happened for three years. Water's drying up. Animals are dying. And God then says to Elijah, after three years, the prophet says, go to wicked king Ahab and issue a challenge. Challenge that the false prophets. And so Elijah did. He says, hey, um, I want to challenge these false prophets. I want to challenge the false gods. Uh, And the challenge happened in a place called Mount Carmel. So on top of Mount Carmel, here's the challenge that Elijah issued to the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal. 
He says, hey, we're going to build altars. You build your altar to your false God. I'm going to build an altar to the one true God. And, and whichever God answers by fire like he's the real deal. They said, okay. So the prophets of Ashtoreth and the prophets of Baal, they construct this altar. And the scripture says from morning to evening, they're crying out to this false God. And they're cutting themselves. They're calling out, but nothing happens. No fire. Then Elijah, in time for the evening sacrifice, takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he builds this altar. He prepares to sacrifice on the altar. And then he calls the water gang. And the scripture says that he, he poured water on the wood, on the sacrifice, not once, not twice, but three times. So in other words, it was completely soaked, like soaking wet. Have you ever tried to get soaking wet wood to burn? Doesn't burn, does it? Doesn't work. So he had this, this altar completely soaked. He prays to God, and all of a sudden, here comes fire out of heaven, consumes the, the, the sacrifice, all of the wood, and the altar. And the scripture says, when the people saw this, they fell prostrate, and this is what they declared, the Lord, he is God. He's the one true God. So then Elijah says, hey, seize the false prophets. All 850 all 850 of the false prophets were killed that day. And then Elijah says to Ahab, hey, it's going to rain. So he goes up and begins to pray. Now, three years of famine, I mean, three years of drought. Um, he goes up the mountaintop and begins to pray. There's this little cloud coming out of the sea. Elijah says, whoop, there's the rain cloud. He comes down and tells Ahab, hey, it's going to rain. Get back to the city of Jezreel. So Ahab gets in his chair to take off to Jezreel. And the scripture says the spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah. And he ran ahead of the chariot all the way to Jezreel. So get this. In one day's time, he's challenged the 850 prophets. He's called down fire from heaven. He's prayed until the rain cloud came. He outran the chariot all the way back to Jezreel. More than a marathon. And then he... Then we come to chapter 19. So here's this great man of God who just had this great experience, this great God encounter, if you will, this momentous day. But I want you to notice then what happens in, in chapter 19. Let's begin with verse 1. It says, Now I have told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. So here's this wicked queen, Queen Jezebel, basically saying to the man of God, I'm going to take your life. Just as you killed the false prophets, I'm going to take your life. Notice verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I know better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. 
There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Notice verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me. Now as I read this chapter 19, it's like what in the world's happening to this great man of God? Again, let me recount for you what happened in chapter 18. He challenged the false prophets. He called down fire from heaven. I haven't done that recently. I don't know about you. He called down fire from heaven. He consumes the the altar. He prays for it to rain. It's not rained in three years. He prays for it to rain. I mean, here comes the rain cloud. He outruns Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel only to hear one woman. Not a group of women. One woman threaten his life. And he goes out and he throws up his hands and says, God, just take my life. Really? I mean, you just called down fire from heaven. I mean, you're the, you're the man of God. You're the dynamic prophet. And he goes out and, and prays to die. So what, what brought this on? What, what brought Elijah to this point? Because I think it's really important that we understand that in the story. What would bring this man of God who had this dynamic experience to the place in his life where he says, I'm no better than my ancestors. God, just take my life. What would bring him to that point of depression? Really quick, let me just kind of walk you through the story and, and give you some insight as to what I believe opened Elijah to his depression. The first is what I would call adrenaline depletion adrenaline depletion i mean he had a pretty amazing day wouldn't you agree i mean all of this happened in one day the challenging of the prophets i've already said all that you know calling down fire from heaven praying up he had a pretty momentous day and then he comes to the end of his day and here's this woman one woman who challenges him and it's like it blows him up all of a sudden he finds himself depressed What happened? I believe it was adrenaline depletion. It opened the way for the depression. I believe as a result of all the events of the day, these high energy events, that adrenaline was was pumping through his body to the point when he came to the end of the the day, he was just emotionally drained. So he hears this one threat from one woman, and he goes out and prays that he might die. What happened? He was depleted, had this adrenaline rush. Interesting. Here's an interesting statistic for you. Did you know that most pastors who resign, resign on Monday mornings? Let me tell you why. I deal with this consistently. Adrenaline depletion. Um, I used to take Mondays off. And I was just so cranky at home. And I, did, I wasn't good to be around my wife and kids. And I thought, wow, if somebody's going to get a bad day, the church should get it. Not, me, not my family. <laughs> So I changed my day off to Friday, and so now I take Friday off. But what happens? Adrenaline depletion. I mean, Sundays for me, every Sunday for me is like game day. I get up at 4 o'clock every Sunday morning, and I'm already, I'm already engaged at 4 o'clock. I mean, my mind's already on the happenings of the day, and three sermons through the day. And by the time I get to the end of the day, to be quite honest, I am just like, I'm drained. 
I'm emotionally depleted. And so for pastors, oftentimes emotionally depleted, and then here comes a situation that kind of catches them on empty, and there's um, an ugly situation, whatever it might be. It does happen in the church before you know it. But there's the baggage of depression. What was the problem? It was adrenaline depletion. So if you have like a big event, a big challenge, and you're pressing through that, and there's all kinds of adrenaline pumping through your body, be aware of this. On the back side of it, you may find yourself empty. And depression comes in. Here's a, here's a second way. i got to move quick. Hard for me to move quick. Um, another challenge Elijah had that opened his life to depression was the consuming fear of the unknown. If you look to verse 3, Jezebel issues like the death warrant, and the scripture says Elijah was afraid. When there is a, an ongoing present fear of the, of the uh, unknown, like what's the future going to hold? I mean, is our world going to be destroyed? If you live in that place of fear, this is what it will do. It will open your life to the baggage of depression. Here's another challenge Elijah had that opened his life for oppression. And was this, isolation. Isolation. Verse 3 goes on to say, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there and he himself went a day's journey into the desert. So now Elijah's facing what he thinks is failure. And he's facing it all along. He has no one to encourage him. No one to give him proper perspective. No one to speak life into his life. He's all alone. He's isolated himself and he's opened his life to this baggage of depression. His choice to isolate himself was probably the worst thing he could have done in the midst of his situation. Yet oftentimes, that's what we do. I'll talk about that more in a minute. Not only was he isolated, but, but he was also challenged by physical exhaustion. The challenges, the challenges and the events of the prior days had, had just really drained him. Again, he had this momentous day. He is physically exhausted and i think this is not just a challenge for elijah but i think it's a challenge for every one of us listen if you have an overloaded overwhelmed day or days that runs into weeks and you're not like adjusting your schedule you're not getting some help you're not bringing some people around you this is what i know if you live your life overloaded overwhelmed over a long period of time this is what's going to happen you're going to open your life to the baggage of depression I mean, Elijah was, was physically, physically exhausted. Not only was he physically exhausted, I think another thing that opened his life to depression is disappointment. If you look back to verse 9 and 10, God asked Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? What's the problem? And, and notice, notice his response. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I mean, look, look at all I've done for you, God. The Israelites, though, they've rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and, and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. I believe that Elijah was disappointed. He was disappointed with God. God didn't perform the way he thought he was going to perform. He was disappointed in that this event, the calling down of fire from heaven, didn't turn the whole situation. He was disappointed because rather than being applauded, he thought he would be applauded. Rather than being applauded, now he has a death warrant out on his life. And disappointment opened his life to this baggage of depression. And again, if you come to to major disappointments, just be aware. 
And it could open your life to the baggage of depression. And then I think the final issue that brought about Elijah's depression was this, being overwhelmed by responsibility. Elijah felt like it was Elijah against the world. Now that wasn't true. It wasn't true, but that's the way he felt. That was his, that was his perception of his situation. It was Elijah against the world. I mean, everyone else had turned away from God. They had turned against God. So it's just Elijah. There's only Elijah to represent God and to stand against the evil of the world. Does that sound overwhelming? Does that sound like being overloaded? I mean, it's just, I mean, just think of, I mean, put your name in that slot. It's just you, only you. Everyone else has turned away from God. But it's your responsibility to represent God to the world. I mean, that's where Elijah was at. He, he felt overwhelmed by responsibility. See, I think for all of us here this morning, I think we can all cave in like Elijah when we're carrying heavy loads of responsibility. We, we may be able to sustain the pressure for a season. And maybe some of us can do it a little longer than others. But if you, over this long period of time, are overwhelmed by responsibility, it can bring you to a place of breaking. It can bring you to a place where you have then this baggage of depression. So from Elijah's struggle with depression, again, let me mention a a dynamic man of God who was mindly used by God came to this place of depression. If he did, you can. So when it happens, how do we offload the baggage of depression? Really quick, let me wrap this up with five, with five points of action that, that I believe will be helpful for you. They're really simple. The first is this, seek help and refuse to isolate yourself. Basically, folks, you don't want to do what Elijah did. When you feel depression coming on or you feel stuck in a black hole of depression, reach out to God and reach out to others. Seek help. Maybe it's medical attention. Maybe it's a psychiatrist. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a trusted friend. But seek help. So don't allow shame or fear or guilt to keep you from seeking out the help you need. Nor do you want to believe the lies. What do the lies sound like? They sound like this. Nobody cares. They sound like this. Um, You'll never make it. What's the use? See, when you begin to believe the lies and you begin to think that the lies are truth, then you become like stuck. Now it's not just you have the baggage of depression, but now you're stuck in that. So don't allow shame to keep you from seeking the help you need. When you're struggling with depression, you need the perspective and the affirmation of others. So you'll want to isolate yourself. Perspective and affirmation. Several years ago, it's been 15, 20 years ago, I remember I was working with a lady who was struggling with depression. And when when the depression would come on, this is what she would do. This was kind of her her mode of operation, her mode of, of addressing it. Is she would retreat to her home, she'd she would close all the curtains and turn out all the lights. Now that was the opposite of what she needed to do. But that's the tendency most of the time when the baggage of depression comes, we we tend to isolate ourselves. We do what Elijah did. Rather than isolating, we need to seek help 
We need to seek it and allow people to speak in our lives. Here's the second way that you can offload the baggage of depression is take care of your physical body. Take care of your physical body. As we saw in the story of Elijah, when you're physically depleted, it can open the door for depression. It's, it's like you don't have the energy to fight off the depression. Now, I happen to believe that depression is like knocking at the door for everyone in the room. Now, you may not believe that, but I, I do believe it because, because we all have problems, right? You have problems, I have problems, we all have problems. And with the reality of problems comes at times... Most of the time, this baggage of depression. And so we need the energy to withstand the depression. So for that to happen, you need to be physically taking care of your body. A healthy routine of a proper diet, exercise and rest will energize your physical body and help you confront depression. So take care of yourself. Now, I know all of you can't do this, but this is one of the ways that I deal with depression in my own life like when i'm having uh well it's not when i'm having it's pretty much every day i i start my day early and because of that sometimes the days get long and so pretty much every day i've just built it into my calendar and built it into my routine i take a nap i have my pillow and blankie here at the office (laughs) and i take a nap every afternoon I tell my assistant, Kathleen, I'm taking a nap. I'll let you know when I wake up. And I go and I, and I take a nap. Um, and it's amazing. This is, this is how it works for me. I can, I can be, I can be um, feeling like I'm overwhelmed, like the challenges are just like, wow, what am I going to do with all of this? And I can take a nap and it's like I wake up in a new world. Amazing. And it's simply this, it's getting rest. Now, again, I don't know how that works out for you, but this is, I, this is what I can tell you. You want to offload the baggage of depression. You want to guard yourself from depression. You have to take care of yourself through proper diet, through proper exercise, through proper rest. Here's a third way that we can offload the baggage of, of depression. It's this, go serve someone else. Get out of your world that has you... Um, trapped that has you like suffocated get out of your world and go help someone else and you'll be amazed at how helping someone else helps you but just taking the focus off you and your problems and your issues and serving someone else great story dr carl manager a famous psychiatrist once gave a lecture on depression the issues of depression and uh, mood disorders and at the end of his lecture he took like a Q&A people were asking questions and someone asked doctor manager says what would you advise a person to do if they felt overwhelmed by depression and, and most people expected doctor manager to say well go go see a psychiatrist I mean that's what he did you know so go see a psychiatrist and they were astonished at actually what he said listen to what he said lock up your house go across the railroad tracks find someone in need and do something to help that person and number one he said you can deal with depression go serve someone else here's a fourth way that we can offload the baggage of of depression and it's this Confront the adversary if the issue is spiritual. Now, if you're following me on the sermon notes, would you take your pen and circle the word if? If. 
It's not always, as I mentioned earlier, it's not always spiritual. So don't make every point of depression a spiritual issue because it's not always spiritual. Are we there? Are you with me? It's not always spiritual. But it it could be. I mean, the Scripture makes it very clear that we have an adversary. We have one who's standing against us. Matter of fact, Jesus said it like this in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What he wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your joy. One of the ways that he does that is by oppressing you with depression. So it could be spiritual. So we need to have a, we need to have an awareness of kind of what's happening. We need to have discernment. Because here's the good news. First John 4, 4 says this. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater is the one who's residing. Greater is the Christ in you than the adversary that's against you. And then Colossians 2, 15 talks about how Christ has disarmed the powers and authorities. What? Through the cross. Through the provision of the cross. So if the source of depression is spiritual, and again, you may, you may need some, some folks to help you figure that out. If it is spiritual, then we need to deal with the spiritual problem with the spiritual solution. But the authority of the cross, the authority of the provision of the cross for you to take hold of what Christ has provided for you. So confront the adversary if the issue is spiritual. Here's the final way that we can offload the baggage of depression. It's this. Encourage yourself in the Lord and focus on His goodness. In other words, we want to take this, the baggage of depression, and we want to take it like the other bags to the cross. To the provision of the cross. We want to encourage ourselves in the Lord and we want to focus on His goodness. Listen, it's amazing what happens when we choose to worship instead of worry. It's amazing what happens when we choose to take the focus off of the problem and put the focus on the goodness of God. It's amazing how our attitude and our thinking and our thought process begins to be transformed when we say, I'm not going to focus on the problem. I'm going to focus on the goodness and the love and the power and the provision of God. You know, Psalm chapter 3, verse 3, the scripture reads like this. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and you lift up my head. Focus on that last, that last phrase. What does God do? He lifts up. He lifts up our head. And in Psalm 42, this whole psalm, you can read the whole psalm, but basically the psalmist is depressed. When you read the psalm, and it's easy to, it's easy to catch. Man, this psalmist is struggling. There's an internal struggle happening. Matter of verse 3, verse 3 reads like this that leads up to verse 5. It says, My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where's your God? In other words, here's a man who's crying day and night. I mean, he's, he's like struggling. This in, he's in this intense wrestling match. There's this issue of depression. That's verse 3. Notice what the scripture says, though, in verse 5. He goes on to say, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed? Why so depressed? Notice he says, Put your hope in God. 
for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In other words, I'm not going to be focused on the problem. I'm going to be focused on the provision of a God who loves me outrageously. I'm going to be focused on the one who has the answer to the crisis that I find myself in. Listen, as we put our hope in God, as we choose to praise Him, it changes us and it changes our perspective. Listen, folks, this morning, I I would want you to know that we have a good, good Father. I, I don't know what you may be walking through today. I don't know what your baggage of depression might look like or what the source of it might be. Listen, it comes in all different kinds of packages all different sources. So I don't know. I don't know this morning your specific situation, but this is what I do know. You have a good, good father who loves you outrageously, who cares for you, who wants to bring help and hope for you in every situation of life, even the situation of the baggage of depression. What do you need to do? You need to set your hope on Him. Set your focus on Him. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. You know, this morning, I, I pray for all of my friends Lord, who would eat, Lord, be here today. And Lord, they would just say, well, I've got some baggage of depression. God, I pray that through... The story we looked at this morning of this man of God, Elijah, who struggled with depression. Lord, in that story and in the principles we talked about, God, I pray that they would find help. Holy Spirit, help them consistently, continually to take these principles rooted in your word. And God, to build them into their lives. And Lord, as they do, God, this is what I believe. We can consistently, continually offload the baggage of depression. Lord, we don't have to carry it. We don't have to be weighted down by it. Lord, for those who would be in that place, God, may they seek you and may they seek the help they need. Lord, I thank you for the life that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.